Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the biofuel industry is using the busy holiday travel season as an opportunity to promote higher ethanol blends. With gas prices on the rise, are consumers ready to listen? Also this morning, the labor shortage that is impacting virtually every industry in every part of the country means workers are commanding more generous compensation packages from employers. But it's not all about the money. And the Hancock County OSU Extension and 4-H program, busy in the month of December, preparing for the year ahead, we'll learn what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, December 13th, 2021. Today is ice cream day, which I've always thought it was really weird to have ice cream day in the middle of December. (laughs) I mean, you wouldn't think, but maybe that's why they did it was uh, specifically because you don't think of ice cream uh, in the middle of uh, December. At least most of us in this hemisphere don't, but uh, maybe that's the idea behind it. I don't know. National Cocoa Day, which that's more what we think about this time of year is a uh, hot cocoa, uh, maybe cocoa flavored ice cream. There you go. You could take care of uh, both of those in one fell swoop. National day of the horse. It is national violin day. And is it is pick a pathologist pal day. <laughs> I don't know what that means. That's what it says. So uh, the uh, story over the weekend, the big story over the weekend, those uh, tornadoes in, especially in Kentucky, but uh, several other states as well, just amazing devastation. If you've seen the images uh, from Mayfield, Kentucky and uh, other places, uh, there were a couple of, um, there's a candle uh, factory in uh, Kentucky that was just absolutely obliterated. And then in Illinois, an Amazon warehouse collapsed. And this is kind of interesting. I saw this story on the uh, Newswire. Definitely one of the uh, first things to talk about this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories we'd like to uh, start the program with. This definitely a buzzworthy story. Amazon employees speaking out against the company's controversial cell phone ban for workers on warehouse floors. Uh, After at least six employees were killed at an Illinois Amazon warehouse on Friday when a string of tornadoes tore through the Midwest, uh, Amazon employees are complaining about the policy that prohibits them from carrying their cell phones uh, while on the uh, floor of the warehouse. They say, had the phone ban not been in effect, had they been able to uh, have their cell phones, they would have perhaps been warned They would have gotten more advanced warning about the approaching storms, and they would have been able to call quickly for help afterwards. They were trapped or they were, um, you know, displaced from family members and loved ones, that kind of thing, trying to, but they didn't have their cell phones. They weren't allowed. Now, uh, Amazon had relaxed the strict ban during the pandemic to allow workers to get in touch with family or healthcare providers if there was an emergency, but they have been slowly reinstating that across the country and um, Amazon workers are now pointing to this event and say, see, this is a safety safety issue for the workers. I don't know if uh, it will lead to a, a change, but an interesting story. Nonetheless, 
Um, speaking of the uh, pandemic, this is kind of interesting from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, in their weekly influenza report ending on December 4th. Uh, the report is now out. They say while influenza activity remains low nationally, it is on the rise. The CDC says influenza A viruses were reported by public health laboratories in all 10 health and human services regions last week. Officials have called for a community or for the week uh, ending December 4th, which is the latest data that is available. Officials have called for communities to get vaccinated against influenza as soon as possible in order to reduce transmission, protect against severe illness, hospitalization, and even death. While influenza activity was low throughout the U.S. last year, the CDC says it anticipates an increase in illness and a lower level of community protection this flu season. And though the CDC recommends everyone six months or older get a flu vaccine, there are early signs that flu vaccination uptake is down this season compared to last. And of course, all of this has to do with the pandemic. Uh, everything that we just said, and influenza activity was low last year. They cite one of the reasons where all the precautions we were taking to avoid uh, COVID-19 were also helping reduce transmission of the flu. And uh, this year they expect that to be on the rise because we've let our guard down a little bit. We're not as quite as uh, 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 not quite as uh, I want to say what's the word that I'm looking for. We're not uh, as persistent uh, and, and we're not as careful. Uh, we're not as diligent. That's the word that I'm looking for. We're not as diligent with those uh, mitigation measures this year as we were last. And um, they say. Signs of flu vaccination uptake is down this season. Well, that's probably because, again, last year we were very cognizant of this. And we're getting our flu shots. Not so much this year. We've let our guard down. Uh, and they say you can get your flu shot as at the same time as your COVID-19 shot or booster. So, matter of fact, some of the uh, clinics uh, are offering both at the uh, same time. So, I encourage you to get that. The life insurance industry, you're talking about a buzzworthy story. This is very interesting. The life insurance industry was forced to hand out more money in benefit payments in 2020 than any other single year. Although 2021, they say when all is said and done, will likely be worse. This is a report in the Wall Street Journal. Death benefit payments from U.S. life insurers totaled Nearly $90.5 billion in 2020, a 15.4% increase over 2019. The American Council of Life Insurers says that is the largest year-over-year increase since the influenza pandemic uh, of 1918, when payments jumped 41%. The difference has to do with the number of those who died... And who they were, 675,000 died from influenza in 1918, compared with 385,000 that have died from COVID-19 uh, in 2020, or that died from COVID-19 in 2020. While the influenza pandemic killed many children and working age people, in addition to those 65 and older, about 80% of the deaths 
from COVID-19 in 2020 occurred in uh, those uh, older populations who usually have smaller life insurance policies than working age adults. Uh, So far, it goes on to say, 2021 has been a little bit different, with 69% of deaths from COVID-19 occurring in those ages 65 and older, and 25% in those between the ages of 45 and 64, and there have been more deaths overall. And so, uh, last year, a record amount of life insurance payouts, and 2021 could be even more when the dust settles. Interesting stuff there. Again, that's what we do. The first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to uh, get your day started. That that certainly fell under that category. How about a couple of uh, Christmas stories? (laughs) A Christmas tree in the UK has been deemed the worst in the Northern Hemisphere. (laughs) It is in uh, Bailiff Bridge, and it is only decorated about one-third of the way up. (laughs) the council in charge of the tree says the issue is that the tree is actually grown too tall. It's a natural tree and it is uh, a living tree. It's not a cut tree. It is a a tree that they decorate every year, I guess. And now it has grown too tall and it is unsafe to decorate the higher sections as they can't be reached by any of the maintenance vehicles. And so they only decorated about one third of, Uh, of the uh, tree locals are disappointed one says uh, some people have said it would be better taking our own christmas tree and plunking it in the park taking our own christmas tree and plunking into the park would certainly bring more joy to residents than that shambles which is up there that's calling it a shambles (laughs) i guess that would that would look rather weird just have a tree decorated one third of the way up i had a friend of mine as a matter of fact it's interesting because uh, over the weekend um, I had a friend of mine uh, say, I, we've got a, a huge evergreen tree uh, in our front yard at our house. And I had a friend uh, tell me over the, over the weekend, you really ought to put Christmas lights and decorate that because it's the, the perfect shape is huge uh, evergreen tree. It would be beautiful. And I said, you're right, but <laughs> we can't reach the top <laughs> and I don't want to wrap just half of the tree in lights. I think that would be uh, goofy. So we... Uh, we tried to do that one time and it was, <laughs> it was a disaster. So we didn't it again, but kind of the same thing here in the uh, UK. And speaking of Christmas, the Roman Catholic diocese in Sicily has publicly apologized to outraged parents after its bishop told a group of children that Santa Claus doesn't exist. What? What is this you say? In a Facebook post and subsequent comments on Friday, the Diocese of Noto uh, insisted that Bishop Antonio Stagliano did not mean to dash the dreams of youngsters two weeks before Christmas. (laughs) The Reverend Alessandro Paulino, the communications director for the diocese, uh, says... uh, Uh, Bishop uh, Stagliano was trying to underline the true meaning of Christmas and the story of St. Nicholas, a bishop who gave uh, gifts to the poor and was persecuted by the Roman emperor. Uh, Italian news reports uh, quoted uh, the bishop as saying during a recent religious festival that Santa doesn't exist and that his red costume was created by the Coca-Cola company for publicity. Well, that part is true because nobody's ever seen Santa, so we really don't know uh, exactly what his 
outfit would be when he's delivering the gifts, but the idea that Santa doesn't exist. The statement from the diocese, quote, first of all, on behalf of the bishop, I express my sorrow for this declaration, which has created disappointment in the, in the little ones. And I want to specify that Monsignor Stagliano's intentions were quite different. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> the diocese having to apologize. They're dashing the hopes of children everywhere. <laughs> That's embarrassing. There you go, some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, partly to mostly sunny today with a high of 50, partly cloudy tonight with a low of 30. Finley Mayor Christina Mern is asking everyone to do their part to knock down this latest surge in COVID cases. The mayor posted a video saying we did a good job early on in the pandemic with taking COVID precautions, but now we're falling back into old habits which are causing significant harm to the community. Over the past week, we've heard from our hospital leadership time and time again that they're at their capacity and they're seeing an increased number of cases that is unsustainable and unfortunately more and more in our younger population. The mayor went on to say that there are three simple things we need to do that have been proven to work in preventing the spread of the virus. Those three things are wearing a mask, getting vaccinated, and avoiding large gatherings. Get more on our website. Ohio medical experts are asking non-vaccinated people to reconsider as hospitalizations increase. Ohio Department of Health Director Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff says the state hasn't seen hospitalization numbers this high since the surge last January. When someone chooses to be vaccinated, they're helping to ensure all Ohioans get the medical care they need when they need it. Dr. Vanderhoff says it's an issue statewide. However, he says the issue is most noticeable in the northern part of the state. I'm Andrew Kinsey. The National Weather Service has confirmed that a tornado touched down a little south of Ada in Hardin County early Saturday. The F1 twister touched down at around 3 a.m. Saturday as a line of strong storms was moving through the area. The tornado had winds of 110 miles an hour and was on the ground for about a mile and a half. Among the structures the tornado damaged were a house and a business. There were no reports of any injuries. Kentucky and other states were hit really hard by tornadoes, and Ohio Task Force 1 has been deployed to affected areas to help out. Santa Claus himself was at the University of Findlay over the weekend for the second annual Letters to Santa drive through <laughs> Hundreds of youngsters got to hand their letters to Santa and chat with the Jolly One for a few seconds. The kids also received a UF goodie bag during the event in front of Old Main. See video on our website. And get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So last week, an interesting development in the tug of war between the oil industry and the biofuel industry, both of which, of course, touch a significant segment of our local economy. The Biden administration lowered annual production requirements for ethanol and other biofuels to account for reduced demand as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. That was a win for the oil industry. While at the same time, rejecting requests by some smaller refineries to be exempted from ethanol requirements entirely. That was a win for the biofuel industry. The administration described it as an effort to reset in the short term and strengthen in the long term the federal renewable fuel standard. Emily Score is CEO of Growth Energy. And Emily, first off, when we say renewable fuels or biofuels, 
today, that is ethanol. At some point in the future, it will include other things that may be brought to market. But what we're really talking about today is corn-based ethanol and ethanol blends, right? That's right. So biofuels like ethanol are low-carbon. They're renewable. As you said, they're made from corn. They also burn cleaner than fossil fuels. So you're going to have cleaner tailpipe emissions coming out of the car. We're going to reduce the toxic additives typically used in gasoline. So here is a low-carbon fuel. It's better for the environment and the good news for drivers this holiday season. It's better for the pocketbook as well. Okay, now let me stop you there because I want to expand on the terminology aspect for a moment because that is one of the issues, I think, when it comes to acceptance among the general public is a lack of clarity in the terminology. You just used the term unleaded 88. And if I pull up to the pump, the closest to that that I am going to see, at least around here, is the option for E85. And those are not the same thing by a long shot. No, it is a difference. I mean, E85 is up to 85% ethanol. That is a flex fuel. So that's the fuel that you want to use if you have a flex fuel vehicle. Got it. E15, that can be used in 96% of the cars on the road. So all cars made in the past 20 years, are approved for this fuel. So it's something that can really benefit every driver. You don't have to have a flex fuel to be able to use unleaded 88. So you touched on the industry's selling point that this unleaded 88 option where it is available is a cost saver for drivers. Well, today, if you pull up at the pump and you and you use unleaded 88 and if you fuel your tank with unleaded 88, which is a higher blend of ethanol, it's 15% ethanol. The standard is typically 10%. If you use that fuel, you are going to save up to 10 cents per gallon every single time you fuel up. So, you know, that makes a difference when we're all facing rising gas prices. But is the trade-off reduced engine performance and the potential for shortening the lifespan of some engine components? Because that's been the knock on these blends. So most of us are driving with fuel that is already blended with 10% ethanol and don't even know it. So the new choice available is a higher blend of 15% blend. And it's actually better for the engine because ethanol helps the engine burn cleaner and cooler. So you have a little bit more octane in 88 versus a standard 87. So it's going to be cleaner burning for the engine. And it's a fuel that's approved for the vast majority of the cars on the road. 96% of the cars on the road can use this fuel. So it's really lack of familiarity. And we just had to educate consumers This is a new choice available that's really going to benefit most every driver on the road today. But again, as you pointed out, the other term for unleaded 88 is E15. Uh, As compared, the standard is E10 at the pump. That's the blend uh, in most gasoline. Does that extra 5% blend make that much difference environmentally since that's ultimately the goal? Well, We've got a great story to tell on the environmental benefit. Ethanol reduces greenhouse gas emissions 46% relative to gasoline. It also displaces toxic additives that are used in gasoline to, to generate that octane. And so the more ethanol we use, the cleaner the emissions coming out of the tailpipe. Now, one of the big storylines in the development and growth of E15, or unleaded 88 fuel at the consumer level, is the on-again, off-again availability as a year-round offering as those shifts happen between summer and winter blends. Is this now available year-round? It has been available year-round. There actually was just a recent court case where the oil industry sued EPA to limit the availability of this in the summer months. So my organization is working with our champions in Congress in Washington, D.C. to try and fix that and overturn it because 
at a time when the cost of gasoline and the impact on the climate is so top of mind, it's really important that consumers have year-round access to this kind of a fuel choice. And frankly, that is really key to acceptance, isn't it? I mean, uh, it's hard to get the public to accept uh, this blend if it's not available every time they go to fill up. It really is because we're all creatures of habit, especially when we go to the pump. And we're very distracted. We're used to kind of hitting the 87 button. So yeah, you want to have that familiarity and you want to have the assurance that that fuel choice is going to be there every single day, all year round. And by the way, not just in terms of gaining consumer acceptance, it's also harder to get gas stations to commit the pump space to carry it with only part-time availability. So on those lines, with respect to that, how do we find it at the retail level? What do we look for? Increasingly more retailers have been selling this fuel in the past several years. And so if you pull up to the gas pump, you just look for the 88 button. And there is a little sticker that says that's a made with 15% ethanol, but the shorthand is look for the 88 button. You can also go to getbiofuel.com. That's a website where you'll learn more about the fuel, why it's good for the environment and good for the engine. And you can find a retailer nearby who's going to be offering this fuel choice. Emily Score is a CEO of Growth Energy with us. Emily, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, in today's employment environment, workers are very much in the driver's seat, and businesses of all types and sizes know this and have been beefing up uh, compensation packages to attract top candidates. But it's not all about the pay scale for many employees and potential employees. Kevin Crane is head of retirement research and insights at Bank of America. And Kevin, you recently uh, completed a workplace benefits report. What did you find in this? The first thing I'd say, Chris, we found is employees are feeling better about their financial well-being, but still not great. And that's probably not surprising. Um, we study this every year, and 51% of employees this year said they felt good or excellent about their financial well-being, mm-hmm. so slightly more than the majority, but not at the pre-pandemic level. They did feel slightly better than a year ago, and I think what's uh, coming there, and you said it, Chris, is I think employees are saying, hey, I'm much more in the driver's seat here. I want my employer to offer me robust benefits, and one thing they really want, they want their employer to recognize there needs to be a combination of robust benefits for emotional benefits, well-being benefits, physical well-being benefits, and financial well-being benefits. So, The so- employer needs to offer all three types of benefits that way to the employee. So really what we're looking at here is, like we said, I think a lot of employers have been looking at this and saying, uh, you know, money is the be all and end all. And what you find is that uh, employees and potential employees are taking a more holistic approach to all of this. It may not just be uh, about the dollar signs. I totally agree, and I would say the past two years has particularly pointed that out, the importance of robust health care benefits and what the employer is helping the employee in terms of paying for those benefits. Retirement savings, the same thing as the employer matching contributions on a 401k plan. And then emotional well-being, uh, emotional mental health benefits, I would say, Chris, is the newest form that's evolved, particularly in the last two or three years, to offer employees counseling assistance help, employee assistance program help, that third 
pillar has recently been added, um, yeah. particularly due to the past two or three years worth of issues. To, to kind of step back a little bit, this really should not necessarily be a shock to anyone who has really paid attention over the past year and a half. Uh, we've seen benefit usage, uh, people taking advantage of uh, their benefits uh, a little bit differently during the course of the pandemic, have we not? That's absolutely true. I would say for some benefits, dramatically uh, different, Um, you know, particularly health benefits and not surprising given the last two years. Sure. Far more access, immediate access when you look at obviously screening tests and obviously vaccines, but also things like flu shots. Um, Look at virtual, far more virtual access to doctors um, in terms of getting quicker access for any sort of medical issue. Mm-hmm. There's been great evolution, evolution in digital medical delivery, but we've also seen, Chris, um, creation of new benefits. One thing besides mental health benefits I mentioned that's also been quickly evolving, caregiving benefits. Mm. A lot of employees are caregivers. Yeah. And love to be a caregiver, but employers are trying to help them be a caregiver and stay in the workforce. So as they caregive for their loved one, giving them some time off, giving them access to information to help them take care of the older adult they're taking care of, but feel like they can stay you know, employed and be happy at their job and not feel like they have to leave their job to be a caregiver. So the next question that I can hear uh, employers say is, you know, how is this going to uh, affect the financial health of the company? How can I afford to offer uh, some of these benefits? How, what can, what can employers do to increase their, um, their, their benefits package, be that financial, uh, you know, retirement benefits, mental health, all of that, uh, is, given the current environment? That's a great question. Uh, an interesting thing we found in the study is when you look at financial wellness programs, years ago, the words were there, but the programs weren't because employers were asking what you just said. Well, how is it to my benefit to do this? Right. In this study, 80% of employers say, I see a tangible benefit to employee recruitment and retention to doing this. So my point is, Chris, is in a cost-benefit analysis, putting a match in a 401k plan or increasing a match 401k plan, at first may look like, oh, these are dollars I don't have as an employer, but it's far more cost-beneficial to do that than have employees leave the company and have to go find new employees Mm -hmm. um, because they don't have robust enough benefits. And employers are now seeing that much more tangibly, which is why they're... Um, doing more things, as you said, in the benefit space, paying for health insurance in certain ways, increasing matches or putting matches in 401ks, even health savings accounts, doing things there because it's to their cost benefit to do that. The other big story of the past year, other than the pandemic, uh, has centered around diversity. What do you see Mm. with the way uh, workplace benefits in this case uh, need to involve to cater to a workforce that is increasingly diverse? Great question. And, and certainly in the study, we found that. Uh, the first thing we found is uh, the younger generations coming into the w- workplace are, are more diverse, understandably. Um, but we did find significant differences in utilization. So it's important what you're raising. Um, I'll give you an example. Gender, males versus females. Um, males in general feel more appreciably financially well than females. Um, There are various reasons for that, but if you look at 401k retirement savings in particular, women have lower balances, save at a lower rate, and are more conservative investors. So there's a lot companies can do to, you know, with seminars and education to show women 
those trends and to help them maybe uh, increase their savings and mm-hmm. be a little bit more aggressive towards their savings. Um, but, and also we found, Chris, younger generations certainly feel great stress and strain financially as they come out of school or start a career than older generations. So helping younger generations with education actions on building a budget, building immediate savings, then starting to save at whatever rate they can for longer-term savings and help manage their student debt, those are all things companies can do to take into account the different diversity aspects of their employee base. And those are uh, considered benefits, even though they are not necessarily, uh, you know, the same in terms of compensation or health insurance or, you know, so on and so forth. So these all, again, we go back to that holistic uh, approach uh, to a benefits package. And then lastly, obviously need to speak to employees because once these uh, uh, benefits are made available, obviously then you want to make the most of it uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, one, because it's to your benefit. Number two, if people don't take advantage of it, they're going to go away. That's right. And I would say there are three things employees need to do. So they have a responsibility in this. I think you said it very well. Three things. Employees need to understand. So employers need to communicate more what they offer, and they're doing that. Mm-hmm. The employees need to access that, understand what the employer's offering. Second, they need to monitor as they're involved in these plans. The employee needs to monitor ongoing. You can't just, you know, a 401k plan, you can't just start saving and never look at it again. And yeah. digitally, you know, your phone and other ways. So look at it, you know, look at it quarterly, look at it semi-annually and annually. And then third, when you do those first two things as an employee, take action. You know, you go to the doctor every year and the doctor tells you to do certain things, you do it. Same thing here. Yeah. You know, maybe if you're getting more in salary, increase your savings, maybe change your investment structure a little bit. Um, you know, use tools to see what your retirement income future is and take action. Um, and I think those are the three responsibilities of employees. Kevin Crane, again, is head of retirement research and insights at Bank of America. Their latest workplace benefits report is out. Where do we learn more about it? Really simple, Chris, and I talked about digital a lot. Bank of America, all one word, dot com. As an employer or an employee, you can access this report. You can also access information and education um, about financial well-being and well-being. And then certainly if you want to look for solutions, there are solutions there that the bank can offer. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Man was arrested on Wednesday in Las Vegas after he drove through fences at the McCarran International Airport in a limousine, parked on an aircraft ramp, and made a bomb threat. (laughs) The Las Vegas Metro Police Department says the suspect was wearing a clown mask at the time and fled after making uh, his threat, but they were able to stop the vehicle and immediately detain the man. Uh, During the incident, the suspect nearly crashed into several planes, disrupted air traffic, and prompted a major response by Las Vegas police and the FBI, as you might uh, expect. And why did he do all of this? You may ask. Well, apparently he told police he wanted to steal a jet so he could fly to Area 51 and look at aliens. (laughs) 
Uh, he wanted to steal a jet so he could fly to Area 51 to check out the aliens. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> if there are aliens at Area 51, what do you think they would have uh, thought of this guy? I mean, <laughs> not necessarily putting humanity's best foot forward, I don't think. Elsewhere in the broken news... A Florida woman is now facing charges after police say that she was having an intimate encounter with a friend at a local bar when she broke the sink off the wall. (laughs) 37-year-old Catherine Trammell was uh, inside the washroom at the Irish 31 pub when the sink broke during an uh, intimate encounter with a friend. (laughs) The the owner... That must have been some encounter. The owner of the bar is pressing charges. Uh, Reports are the damage tallied at around $500. (laughs) Moving on. Here's a word of advice. If you're going to leave your car unlocked... Don't leave nearly $10,000 worth of stuff in it. A Connecticut man failed to follow that basic tip. Um, and uh, apparently there were uh, there been uh, reports uh, throughout the state of Connecticut about a uh, rising number of thieves rummaging through unlocked vehicles. And uh, here's the latest case. This guy's now out an obscene amount of money. Basically... This guy left $8,000 in gift cards sitting in his unlocked car, as well as his wallet that had $1,200 in cash. Really made This thief thought he hit the lottery. Uh, the same crook hit up another vehicle a few streets over, pocketed in another 40 bucks. While it is a painful lesson indeed, police are left shaking their heads that residents are still refusing to lock their cars and inviting more crime into their neighborhoods. $10,000. The guy's name is not given in the report, but then again, if you lost $10,000 because you were dumb enough to leave it in an unlocked car, would you want your name in the report? I wouldn't either. Wow. Uh, this is maybe the one of the strangest arrests ever in the broken news. Oregon police were called to apprehend a crow that was uh, swearing up a storm at a local elementary school. Uh, According to news reports, the bird was at first celebrated as something of a uh, living mascot at Allendale Elementary School. The crow peered into classrooms and pecked on doors and won students over after it snuck into a fifth-grade classroom and helped itself to some snacks. But the uh, fun turned serious well, the, the bird would land on people's heads and, and say things like, what's up? And I'm fine. But uh, the fun took a dark turn when the crow started <laughs> mouthing off a bevy of naughty words. I did not know crows could talk. I didn't. I thought that was only parrots. But apparently crows, I know they're very intelligent birds, but I didn't realize they could talk. Uh, apparently, after it. After it uh, started spewing forth the foul language, the crow had overstayed its welcome, and that's when animal control was called. (laughs) 
<clears throat> it's all fun and games until uh, one of the uh, until the crow starts uh, <laughs> spewing forth a string of obscenities. Another animal story in the uh, broken news. This one is kind of funny. If you've seen the video, the video is out there. I saw the video this morning, and it is actually absolutely adorable. Apparently, uh, bears don't love Christmas. A woman living in uh, Monrovia, California, caught video of a bear cub brawling with an oversized inflatable reindeer in her neighborhood. (laughs) Uh, Donna Hargett posted the video to Facebook. And told told local news reporters that the uh, mother bear that was uh, watching nearby uh, and her cub are frequent visitors to the neighborhood. It was really, like I said, I saw the uh, video early this morning and it looks like the the bear cub thought (laughs) it had taken down a big deer. Look what I got, mom. I got dinner. Turns out it was just an inflatable Christmas decoration. It was kind of cute. And finally, in the broken news this morning, two artists from Seattle have been charged with faking their Native American heritage. Louis Anthony Rath and Jerry Chris Van Dyke were charged separately for violating the Indian Arts and Crafts Act for pretending to be Native American carvers in order to sell works at downtown Seattle galleries. The law prohibits the misrepresentation in the selling of American Indian or Alaskan Native arts and crafts. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, Items they put up for sale include masks, totem poles, and pendants. (laughs) They could face five years in prison for faking Native American ancestry to sell their trinkets. Not too bright. There you go. Uh, That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news for this Monday morning brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. It's a musical tradition. Chip Davis, the founder and musical director of Mannheim Steamroller, presents a coast-to-coast broadcast of Mannheim Steamrollers, an American Christmas. Chip Davis of Mannheim Steamroller here. Join us for all the warmth, music, and happiness of an old-fashioned American Christmas. An American Christmas begins Christmas Eve at 5 p.m. on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, You've probably heard it said that it is a bad idea to lend money to family members or close friends. And there's a reason they say that, because it is. A new bank rate survey finds that 44% of people who have offered financial help to a friend or family member have had something bad happen as a result. There's been a bad outcome, 44%. Not great odds. More than two-thirds overall, 69%, say that they have lent money to friends or family. Uh, Maybe they've lent money with the idea that it would be paid back. 54% said they've done that. Uh, in some cases, they paid a group bill expecting to be reimbursed, you know, where everybody goes together to get a big Christmas gift for mom and dad or whatever. 24% have done that, have been the one that pays and then collects from everybody else. 21% say they have co-signed on a loan or other financial product for a friend or family member. 
And 19% say they have lent someone their credit card. The negative consequences experienced by those 44% included losing money. 38% said they lost money in the deal. Harming the relationship. 23% said it harmed the relationship. 14% said uh, it damaged their own credit score. And 7% said that they actually got into a physical fight, a physical altercation with a friend or family member uh, over money issues after lending. As a result, bank rate uh, industry analyst Ted Rossman, who we've had on this program a number of times, says if you really want to offer financial help to a friend or a family member, it might be best to just give the money outright. Don't, uh, don't expect to get it back. Don't make it a loan. Make it a gift. If you really want to offer assistance, don't lend more than you can afford to lose. And consider treating the money as a gift to limit the potential for hard feelings. So, uh, or just uh, even better, as they they say the old adage goes, neither a borrower nor a lender be is maybe the best rule of thumb overall. the folks of the Hancock County OSU Extension and 4-H program busy in the month of December preparing for the year ahead really is uh, what's on the slate. Tori Kirian is uh, with us, 4-H Extension educator, Hancock County uh, OSU Extension. Tori, happy holidays. Welcome. Uh, we were just talking a little bit before we went on the air. You got all of your uh, Christmas or most of your Christmas shopping done and all of that. So. Yes, just a few things left and some work on my own with my cricket. So. There you go. There you go. Uh, this is getting to be crunch time now. So uh, with respect to uh, four, what are the 4-H kids uh, up to uh, these days? They pretty much uh, do you kind of uh, take a break during the holidays with everything else going on or you know what's what's going on with the 4-H kids these days? Yeah, so right now we actually just had some camp counselor interviews last week. Okay. Um, so we do have a little bit of action going on. Um, we'll have our first meeting at the end of the year. Um, our junior leadership kids are meeting for their monthly meeting going to have a little Christmas activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a little bit of a downtime, but some clubs are still meeting. Yeah. Um, definitely. You you mentioned camp counselors. Boy, that's uh, that's like a year-round thing. I mean, you uh, already starting to think about uh, camp for uh, next year and getting all the ducks in a row, as it were. Yeah, yep. So we'll be at camp again June 25th through the 29th. And we'll start our process now um, because our camp counselors go through a lot of training to make sure that we are prepared. Um, The counselors also plan the camp, so that goes hand in hand with the training. So it takes lots of time and effort. Yeah, I was going to ask for those who maybe are not uh, involved firsthand in 4-H, explain uh, how this all works because this is part of the continuum um, of, of the learning experience for uh, 4-H kids when it comes to camp. Yeah, so one of the things, um, one of the areas that 4-H covers is workforce development. And so in a way, we can tie our camp counselor process to a job. Um, our counselors will apply. They have to have references. Um, they'll call in and schedule their interview. Go through the interview process. They'll go process through the interview process, um, partially with a group and then partially a interview with our staff. Um, we'll let them know. And then we, from there, we will start planning to reach different competencies to make sure that we're prepared for very 
different situations and development processes yeah, that's, as well. Then once uh, they become camp counselors, you said they actually help plan the activities and the programming at camp itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a so that's a whole process uh, mm-hmm. in and of itself. Then you know it's not over after the interview is over. Right. Yep. Nope. Um, they actually start talking about theme ideas for camp in their interviews, and then we'll go through and develop those. Um, they'll break into committees, and then each committee will have a certain activity to plan, while also planning sessions and activities that campers can be a part of and learn. Camp. So a really comprehensive uh, program uh, mm-hmm. for when we talk about camp, it's it's about more than just the campers. Yes. Uh, it is, you know, the second half of that are the uh, counselors themselves, which are going through a, uh, a whole process and a, a real uh, involved thing as well. So what else is uh, going on? As we mentioned, you're planning for the, the year ahead. Obviously, camp is uh, one of the big things, but mm-hmm. what else is uh, going on? Yeah, so in January, we'll kick off with our volunteer, because our volunteers get training every year as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll have our kickoff at the end of January. Um, We'll have some achievement records that are due that uh, 4-Hers can fill out to try to win or be selected for um, some county-level awards and state-level awards to potentially go to the 4-H National Congress. Um, So that's a lot of what's happening in the beginning of the year is just the trainings Mm -hmm. starting to get everyone's bearings back together um heading into 2022 yes the the 4-h national congress when when is that and talk a little bit about that uh program because that sounds like a big deal again for those who are not uh involved uh, firsthand in the 4-h program that sounds like a big deal Mm mm-hmm so with the 4-h national congress they actually we had a couple kids go down from hancock county um it was right after thanksgiving okay um but they for the achievement awards they can mark an area that they um that their projects and their worker and mm-hmm. and if they're selected they can go down um i believe it's in georgia so okay um where they get to travel down with 4-Hers from all over the united states wow and yeah that's quite a uh, uh quite an event i would imagine quite an honor uh mm-hmm. to be selected for that uh mm-hmm. to to go to a national all of these things uh just look really good whether we're talking about a resume a college application all of that mm-hmm. stuff i mean these are this is a big deal yeah because the achievement award we actually have a workshop tonight um at the extension office at six so if you want to come call us and let us know there you go um but they'll fill out all their 4-H activities. They'll have a photo page, a 4-H story of how 4-H has impacted their life. And then from there, um, they can be selected for those awards or leadership camp, Citizenship Washington Focus, where they go to Washington, D.C., wow. camp. So a lot of opportunities yeah. there. Well, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the uh, national conference uh, was right around Thanksgiving. And uh, I'm assuming it would be that roughly that same time next year. I, 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 is that I'm not 100, I haven't seen that date for sure. Okay, but, but it's usually around that time. And so you're already talking about it now for next year kind of gives, mm-hmm. uh, can give you an idea of just how big of a deal and how much preparation goes into something like yes, this. Yes, for yeah. sure. Because our achievement records will be due in our office in January. Wow. And they'll get submitted down to Columbus to be looked over um, by some forage professionals. And... So always things going on. Oh, yes. When are you getting your Christmas shopping done when you're doing <laughs> That's a good question. That's why I have to cricket. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, leadership training, the, uh, the uh, camp counselors, all of these things uh, that, are, uh, that are going on. 
Um, are there are there deadlines? Are there things that that people need to know who are involved uh, in these programs to kind of get those dates out there? Mm-hmm. We need to. Um, so like we said, we have that achievement record workshop tonight. Okay. Um, if you had your Shilly's popcorn sales, those pickups are tonight. Okay. Um, beyond that, we have our 2022 calendar and handbook almost on the wraps about to start printing. So okay. once we get that done, you're... Um, <laughs> you're, I just had the a light, thought. You, the light <laughs> just went on. I saw the light just go on. Yeah, our 2022 calendar is going out, but we also had um, Don Feller, our office associate, retire at the end of November. Ah, and so um, I think I did see that on the uh, yeah, Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, so she's retired, so we're good for. It's, we're excited for her yeah. to go on to this next adventure. Um, but that position was posted over the weekend too. So we'll be working on that in our office as well. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of things going on. Uh, More details on uh, all of this. And again, we're talking mostly about 4-H, but uh, obviously OSU Extension as a whole, Mm -hmm. uh, really starting to plan for next year as well. Yes. Jennifer, FCS educator, she has some good things coming um, that she's really excited about. Um, We also have some more school programming as we transition into break. And then in January, starting back up, like, week of January back we have some school programming so our office is definitely out there lots of things lots of things going on uh heading into 2022 we've got a link up on our webpage uh to the uh OSU extension page for more information about all of the uh, happenings again uh, Tori Kirian a Hancock County OSU extension 4-H educator with us uh, this morning Tori thanks very much and uh Merry Christmas and best of luck getting everything done thank you Merry (laughs) Christmas to you thanks for having us And that is our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. You can find us at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, Motor Trend is out with their Truck of the Year Award. We'll get the inside scoop on that, plus some more gift ideas in case you are stumped as we're coming up on crunch time, the Christmas shopping season. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.